Good morning, church. I always say that, of course, but, um, you know, God loves his church. And uh, that's why I'm here, because God loves you. I'm so pleased to see so many people I, I don't know, uh, and you don't know me. And so if I say something, it's not because I know your situation. It's because God wants to speak to you. Amen? So for those of you who are not sure who I am and what on earth I'm doing here, um, my wife Susie and I have been members of this church for the last 10 years. But we've been visiting for 15 years before that. So really our association is 25 years old. And that's because my daughter Ruth, who's the beautiful lady waving at me from down here, she married Rob Hawley, who was our worship leader here. He was the one with the, the big black beard and the bouncy feet. Uh, and he told me that he, you won't get this on the video if you're watching online, but he especially put brand new trainers on this morning in honor of the fact that I was preaching here for the first time ever. So, um, yeah, uh, three of our eight grandchildren are members here as well. There's only one here this morning hiding up in the balcony here, Nathan, but uh, Caitlin and Bethia uh, are our three of our eight grandchildren. So, a big thank you to Pastor Andy for giving me this opportunity to share what the Lord has given me. The last time I spoke, I asked Andy for five minutes. Uh, and I was amazed afterwards because I watched it on YouTube and I timed it. And it took me 15 minutes. So this time I said to Andy, Andy, what I've got, I think it's about 10 minutes. So he knew exactly how to interpret that. And that's why. So... With my time management difficulties uh, in mind, I've written it out, and uh, I've timed it. So if I stick to the script, we should be finished easily by two o'clock. <laughs> <clears throat> so, are you up for that? Okay, buckle up then. Uh, Pastor Dan, Pastor Andy, and others, Phoebe spoke uh, uh, last week as well, from this verse in Isaiah, chapter 60, verse 1. Wonderful, wonderful scripture, which says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Personally, I found that so encouraging. God's been really strengthening me and encouraging me. And it's a wonderful thing for God to say to any of us. Arise, shine, your, he's speaking to us personally. Your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. That's a wonderful thing for God to say to us. But why is God doing this? What's it for? Well, the clue is in the next verse, chapter, verse 2 of Isaiah 60. It says, for behold. That means there's something you've got to see. Behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. And deep darkness, the people. See, God doesn't want to glorify us for our own sakes. He wants to shine his light upon us so that he can shine through us because all around us, there are people sitting in darkness who don't have this light. People mock us because we say we've seen the light, but seeing the light is the best thing that's ever happened to us. Isn't it? And God wants to shine his light on us and in us so that we can 
share this light with others. <clears throat> so, I was so impressed with these verses that I decided um, a few weeks ago uh, that I would look up all the cross-references to that verse in Isaiah 60, verse 1. Well, I never got past the first one because Jesus showed up. You know, the Bible says, God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Even in the cafe at the supermarket. So these are the two verses that I read that day, which Andy has already uh, mentioned. I, th I think Andy recognized this word, and if, if he was really honest, he would like to preach it himself. <laughs> yeah. Um, it says, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. Shake yourself from the dust. Arise, sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. And when I read these, these verses, just the Holy Spirit was all over it. And I remembered a picture that I'd seen of a, a person in a prison cell. And they were looking out through the bars of the window. And they were... They were waiting, basically, for Jesus to come and rescue them. And I just witnessed within my spirit that there are people here this morning and there are people watching online who would identify with this captive. You feel trapped. And you feel powerless to do anything about it. And you might have been praying and asking and seeking God and waiting and waiting and waiting for Jesus to come and nothing's happening. Well, I recognize that situation because I've been there myself. I've found myself waiting and waiting and waiting for God only to eventually recognize that I'm waiting for God and he's waiting for me. He's not doing anything because he's already done it. He's not saying anything in my situation because he has already said it. So, um, having recognized this situation, I just knew that there was something here God wanted me to share. You see, when the Lord says to us, awake, awake, it's not because we are physically asleep, but because we are spiritually asleep. We can so easily forget those verses in Ephesians 6, which tell us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You know, the Bible and especially Jesus talks a lot about this other realm, the spiritual realm, referring to it as heavenly places or the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And the Bible is our only window into this realm. If, 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 if I needed a title 
for my talk this morning, it would be looking out of the wrong window into the wrong realm. That's what we sometimes do. When we think that all our earthly problems have earthly origins and earthly solutions and we are going to fight them with our earthly resources, guess what? We are sound asleep. Okay? If we think that the only reality of those things which we can see and hear and smell and taste and feel, well, you've never even woken up to the existence of this other realm. There is another realm besides this one, a spiritual realm. And God wants to show us, give us insight, revelation into this spiritual realm. Our strength and our beautiful garments referred to in Isaiah 52 are not physical. God is not mocking this captive daughter who's sitting in the dust with dust on her head, rags on her body, a chain on her hands and feet, a, a slave collar around her neck. And God says to her, what are you doing sitting? Wake up, wake up, stand up, get up. Put on your beautiful garments. Put on your strength. God's not mocking her. He's telling her something she needs to listen to. The whole passage is reminding this captive daughter about what she has in the spirit realm, but she is not using it. In Luke chapter 10, the Bible tells us that Jesus sent out 70 disciples to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. He sent them out as lambs among wolves, and yet they returned rejoicing that even the demons were subject to them in his name. And Jesus said this to them in verse 19, Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall in any wise hurt you. Depends which version you're reading. It might say, I have given you power over all the power of the enemy. But those two words are two different words. Excuse me a moment. Those two words are different words used for strength and power. In the Greek, Jesus is saying, Behold, I have given you exousia over all the dunamis of the enemy. Now dunamis, as you might imagine, is where our word dynamite comes from. And it is used to describe force or ability. It is, it is translated in the scriptures as might or mightily or mighty deed, worker of miracles, power, strength, violence. Exousia, on the other hand, which is the one that God has given us, is often translated authority, and it describes privilege or the right to choose. It's translated as authority, jurisdiction, liberty, power, right, strength. Look, it's what a policeman has. Delegated authority. Okay? The essence of dunamis the power that the enemy has, the power that this world operates by, 
The essence of dunamis is having the might to do something. But the essence of exousia is having the right to do something. This world, this physical realm, operates on the basis of dunamis. It's the people with the might that have the last word. In the natural realm, it's the sharpest fangs, the biggest muscles, the top predator that has the last word. In a human sense, it's the person with the most money or the most influence or the boss of some huge corporation that has the final word. Dunamis is the power that you need in this realm. But this is not the only realm. There's a spiritual realm. And in that realm, there's something called exousia. Now, it's exactly the opposite in that realm. In the kingdom of heaven, right is might. Okay? In this realm, might is right. But in the kingdom of God, right is might. Um, exousia. Jesus said, I have given you exousia over all the dunamis of the enemy. But exousia only rules over dunamis in the spiritual realm. In this realm, the Bible says, we are seated together with Christ in heavenly places. And that's as high as you can go. This captive daughter that the Lord is speaking to in Isaiah 52, she's sat in the dust. That's as low as you can go. She is clothed in rags with bonds and chains, but the Bible tells us in the New Testament that we are to put on the new man. We are to put on Christ, put on love, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And it begins with this word, behold. Have we got that still up there? Look at that first word. Behold, I give you, or I have given you. Whenever you see this word in the scripture, it's like a hyperlink on the internet. Most of you know what I'm talking about, some of you don't. But it's, it's, it's like, click here, because there's a revelation. There's something God wants us to see. And he's not talking about these eyes. When, when Jesus said, he that hath ears to hear, he's not talking about these and when God says, I want you to see something, he's not talking about these. God has given us spiritual senses, an ability. See this word, it's a, a, an exclamation mark. God says, I want you to see something. And this spiritual insight this revelation direct from heaven is is called revelation and Luke 10 if you read that whole passage and I recommend that you do I haven't got time to talk the whole thing through but in Luke 10 it shows us the only God and God personally only God can give us a revelation he's the one who hides it from the wise and the prudent and reveals it to babe babes and that's what makes our well it's not a religion I hate religion God hates religion but the Christian faith that's what makes it so special that we have a personal God 
who gives us a personal revelation. If you know Jesus today, it's because God personally came to you and personally gave you a revelation that he is real and alive today and loves you and saved you. Right? That's what makes it special. No other faith in the world has that kind of relationship with God. That's what makes it special. In Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus asked the disciples who they thought he was, Simon Peter, as was his wont, blurted out, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, that rock of personal revelation, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, this spiritual realm. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." Revelation, personal insight, direct from God, is the origin of faith. It's where faith is born. It's where faith comes from. In Romans 10 verse 17, it says, So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And he's not talking about these ears. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. God communicates with us. And he's got a million ways of doing that. But he communicates with us. We hear it and receive it. And faith is quickened. That's how it works. That's why it says. Behold. If your version. The translation that you usually read. Doesn't have this word. Behold. And I'm amazed how many modern versions don't have it. I don't know what I can say. It is a separate word in the original languages, okay? If God put it in, I don't understand why people would leave it out. Grammatically, the sentence means the same. And you could say, well, it's in insignificant. It's just an archaic way of speaking. But spiritually... It's highly significant. We need a revelation, a personal revelation from God of who Jesus is and what he has already done for us. That's how we got saved. Because we had a revelation that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for us. He took our sin. It was a done deal. It was finished. It was over. It was signed and settled in heaven. God said it. I believed it. And that made all the difference. Yeah? That's what we need. A revelation from God. This revelation is the key to our prison doors. I know some of you think God's not listening to you. God's not taking any notice about your captivity. But he is. And he wants to give us a revelation. Jesus said to those disciples who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. When the Lord says to this captive daughter, Shake yourself from the dust. Arise, sit down, O Jerusalem, 
Loose yourself from the bonds of your neck. He is saying, don't give up, but get up. She must do it. God won't do it for her. The Bible says, you resist the devil and he will flee from you. Okay? He says, shake yourself, loose yourself. Having commanded her to get up, he immediately tells her to sit down, but not back in the dust. Sit where you're supposed to sit. Well, where are we supposed to sit? With Christ in heavenly places. In the spiritual realm, in Christ, we are not captives. We are more than conquerors. He has made us to be kings and priests. Well, where do kings sit? On thrones. We are not powerless in him. We might be powerless in this realm, but we are not powerless in him. We are overcomers. We can tread upon serpents and scorpions, spiritually speaking, if we will exercise our God-given exousia, our authority, our right to choose. We need to change our thinking, and God is at work in us to change our thinking and to believe that God wants us free and has already done what he needs to do in order for us to be free. Instead of asking God to do something, we should be asking him what he wants us to do. Being asleep is completely passive. When we should be awake and active, the Bible in the book of James, when it's talking about faith, it says faith without works is dead. Faith without works, without expression, without actions, without words and deeds is dead. It's useless. It's passive. It's fast asleep. What's the point of having it if we're not going to use it? So a couple of examples, one from the scriptures, one from the life of Elijah, and one from the life of Joe. So in 1 Kings 17, and hopefully you can follow it behind me on the screen. It says, Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Get away from here and turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. If you've never read this story before, isn't that awesome? It's absolutely fantastic, you know. Um, it's supernatural. It's fantastic. It's just awesome. God's doing everything for Elijah. Uh, but it doesn't stay that way. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land, which is Elijah's fault. He said there wouldn't be. Then 
the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Where he was, Gilead, that's, if you picture the, the land of Israel, you've got Israel in the middle, then the Jordan River, then you've got land the other side of the Jordan River, and you've got land on the coast. Well, he, Elijah started on the east bank of the Jordan, and he had to travel all the way through Israel to a different country, to Sidon. Uh, that's where it was. Which Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, or behold, there's that word again. I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So God said to Elijah, Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. This is my whole sermon. God gave Elijah a revelation of something he had already done in the spiritual realm. Okay, and Elijah needs to see it. He needs to get it. The penny needs to drop. So, uh, verse 10, So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, there's that word again, that is behold, literally. Behold, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, Please, bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And she said, Ah, you must be Elijah. God told me all about you. Your room's ready, dinner's on the table. James, would you come and help him with his bags, please? Oh, no, it doesn't say that. Sorry. Uh, I, was, I was reading from the JIV there, the Joe's imaginary version. Yeah. See, that's, that's the way we would do it. See, yeah, that is the way that we would do it. But God does things differently. So let's press on. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar, and see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. A couple of things immediately obvious from this widow's response. Number one, she does not know the Lord. She said, as the Lord your God lives. She was an idol worshipper. She worshipped the God's of the other people in Sidon. Number two that's immediately obvious is God hasn't spoken to her. And yet God said, I have. But he hasn't. Number three, she does not have enough to meet our own needs. You'd think if God had appointed a widow to provide for Elijah, he would have found a rich one. Someone that had plenty of food in stock 
despite the famine, despite the lack of rain, had all these things that were needed to provide for Elijah's needs. She has nothing for herself. She's, she's about to prepare her last meal and die. She not only can't provide for herself, she can't provide for Elijah. She's got nothing to give Elijah. The conclusion's obvious. This must be the wrong widow. So what would you do in that situation? What's Elijah going to do? Is he going to walk away and find another widow? Find the rich one? Well, that would mean leaving her to die, wouldn't it? Is that be something God would do? No. Look, this does not look like God's solution in the natural realm. But Elijah has got a revelation of something that God has already done. And God's picture is always so much bigger than ours. This isn't just about the widow meeting Elijah's need, but about Elijah meeting the widow's need. Verse 13, Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. I could spend the next three weeks preaching on this passage, but... When the Lord appointed the ravens, Elijah had only to be in the right place. He was obedient, he went there, but he was completely passive after that point. God did everything for him. But when the Lord appointed the widow, Elijah must not only be in the right place, but be active in order to bring to pass on the earth what God had commanded in heaven. If you think about it, that's how we pray. Thy kingdom come, this spiritual realm, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay. I'm going to finish with a story from my own life, okay? I'm going to read it because I'm already taken too long. No surprises there. It was a Sunday morning nearly 30 years ago and I had been invited to another church to sing. So I had my guitar and amp in the back seat of my car and the car park at this church was gravel and as I went to lift my guitar out of the back seat, the gravel moved and I felt my back go. If you've ever had it, you'll know what I mean. 
I had had this enough times before to know exactly what I had done and what it meant. It meant growing pain and stiffness in my back, eventually resulting in seven to ten days in bed until it passed off. Well, I'd been a Christian for a few years by this point, and I, I was determined to fight it. So I carried on into the church, sang my songs, and I fought hard all that day to keep moving. But sure enough, the following morning I woke up to go to work in trouble. The smallest movements were agony. I crawled out of bed, got downstairs, made myself a cup of tea, and I sat on the sofa in the front room talking to the Lord. There was no question of a few days off. I was a self-employed computer programmer working as a contractor. No work, no pay. So I'm having this conversation with the Lord. And I'm saying, Lord, I know that I am not waiting here for you to heal me. According to what you've already shown me, you've already done it. The atonement, Lord, what you did on the cross for me, by your stripes, I am healed. I believe all that, Lord. But I am in trouble here, and I don't know how to get it. I know it's in my account, as it were, but I don't know how to withdraw it. Lord, how do I do that? I know the Bible says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. So how do I take it? Immediately the thought came into my head, bend down, touch your toes. Well, now I've got a battle on. That can't be God. It must be the devil. I can just imagine the agony of doing that and being worse than I already am. Lord, was that you? Will you speak to me again? Nothing. Absolute silence in my spirit. Well, if a speaking God is not speaking, maybe that's because he has already spoken. I had asked God a direct question and got a direct answer. The only trouble is I didn't like it. I think it must have been God. Am I afraid? Oh, yeah. Do I have doubts? Definitely. Do I have faith? Well, yes. Again. That sounds like God to me. So the only question now is, am I going to obey? Someone once said, and it stuck with me, and I hope it sticks with you this morning. They said, doubt your doubts and believe your believing. Doubt your doubts and believe your believing. So I put my cup of tea down, struggled off the settee, and I'm stood up. But I'm bent all over because I just can't straighten up. That's how it was. I said, if you've ever had it, you'll know what I mean. And I thought, well, I can't do this slowly. That's definitely going to be agony. I've just got to go for it. God didn't say try it. God said do it. So I did. Straight down to my toes and straight back again. Now that's interesting. My back feels exactly the same. It's really sore, 
But that movement didn't hurt. What's more, I realized that I am much more upright than I was before. So you know what? I think I'm going to try that again. Down to my toes and straight back again. And now I am fully upright. And I think, well, if I can do that, well, I can do this as well. Oh, yeah, I can. And I, I sat down on the floor and I'm stretching out to my toes. And I realized that my back felt exactly the same, but none of these movements hurt. I can move any way I want to. So I went to work. And whenever it stiffened up, I got up from my computer and I picked up imaginary bits of fluff off the floor and I did a few stretches, you know, and praise the Lord as, as you do. I did that for four days and somewhere in the middle of a bike ride, my back pain just disappeared, never to return. And I hope these two examples give you an insight into this expression, faith works. We use the word works in, two, in at least two different ways, typical English language. We use work, works to describe activity, effort, labor. But we also use the word works to describe, well, does it work? Is it effective? Does it make a difference? Well, faith works. Our faith must be active in order to be effective. God is training us just as he trained Elijah. We have to grow and develop in our understanding of spiritual things. Look, I would really encourage you to read Luke 10 and 1 Kings 17 when you get home. I hope, my prayer is, well, I believe that there are people here who needed to hear some of those things I said this morning. I doubt if any of you needed to hear it all but hopefully there was something there that will be a key for you. And if that's true, use that key to unlock your prison doors. Okay? If any... Uh, well, I'll hand I'll, I'll Andy here. Thanks for listening. Stay there, John. Do you know, there's, um, there's a real difference between hearing from God and acting, acting on what God says. And uh, that's exactly what Joe did in that particular thing. Israel, at the time when Isaiah was prophesying what he prophesied, Israel was still in slavery. And Isaiah was prophesying about a time when they would be free from that slavery. But they couldn't get it. They couldn't get it. They constantly were living under that mentality of, of slavery. And you know, it's really, really hard when you've been a slave for many, many years to actually suddenly start living free. It takes time. It takes thinking. It takes adapting. It keeps, uh, it, 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 you have to keep reminding yourself that you are free. And this morning I was awake about half past four and the, the word breakout was really, really strong for me. Not break out of bed. <laughs> I didn't want to get out of bed at all first four. But break out. Break out. I think there's people here that need to break out of the mentality 
of slavery, being under something that you've been under for so, so long. And I'm going to get Joe to pray for us in a bit. There's two verses that really struck me this morning. It was for freedom, says Galatians, that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. If you're living under something and you've been living under something, break out of that. Break out of that and live in the freedom that Christ has, has given you. And Romans 6 verse 11 says this, So you must consider yourself, think of yourself, believe of yourself, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Don't live under the burden and the slavery of sin and sinful thinking. Break out, break out. And I'm going to let Joe pray. This might be for you. I'm not going to get you to stand up, indicate respond or anything like that i'm just going to get you to bow your head you know your struggles you know what you live with you know the slavery that you might be under and it might be something that you have wrestled with for years i'm going to get joe to to pray and really pray about this word break out like it like you said there though joe don't give up get up so i'm going to get joe to pray and pray over us and then we're going to we're going to close in a bit yeah, Father God, thank you that you, well, you are our dad, Lord. You gave us this new life and uh, you care passionately about us, Lord. And you see every area of darkness in our lives, every area, Lord, where we're lost, where we're confused, where we don't understand. Lord, you see all that, Lord, and you... Send your light, Lord. You sent your light this morning, Lord, in the choruses that we sang, Lord, in the word of Scripture, Lord. You, you send light into our darkness. So, Father, give us hearing hearts, Lord. Lord, help us to recognize that you are speaking to us personally. And, Lord, that you're a fantastic encourager. Lord, you don't come along and beat us with a stick and say what you're doing here Lord you come along with the arms of love and grace and lift us up out of the mire Lord and I pray that for everyone here today Lord who who finds this a word in season Lord I really identify with being trapped feeling powerless Lord feeling this is the way it's always been it's never going to be any different Lord, give us hearing hearts, Lord, to recognize that things can be different and that they are different, Lord, when we put our trust in you. Lord, show us how to put our faith into action. Lord, show us how to change our words, how to change our actions, Lord, how to live by faith. Lord, how to respond to what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, that you have done what needs to be done when Jesus died for us on the cross. Lord, help us to live in the good of it, Lord, and to walk free. Help us to not be afraid, Lord, of the things that we've always been afraid of. Lord, help us to get free from the guilt that has plagued our lives, Lord. There is therefore now no 
condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen.